Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you, Gilbert, for that good, good morning there. My name is Dustin. I get to be the worship pastor around here, and I'm so excited today that you are here. Shout out to those of you joining online. I know there are a million things we could be doing right now. The weather's cooling off, and and it's nice outside. So I want to tell you thank you for being a part of gathering together in person, online. I believe it matters. I believe when we open the scriptures, I believe when we gather together, that God is with us. And that God can do some things with and in and through us because we gather together. So I'm excited today to open the word. We're beginning a new series called Inspire. An Inspire series. And as we start the series, if you were here last week, you probably know why we're starting a series called Inspire. If you were not here last week, I'm going to give you some some news here quickly that might come as a bit of a surprise. Last week, we announced, Pastor Kins announced that our church leadership, the board and the staff, with the uh, approval and blessing of our district advisory board and district superintendent, our church leadership is proposing that we change our church name from First Church of the Nazarene to Inspire Church. Now, that, some of you might be, whoa, what in the world are we talking about? I want to encourage you, please go watch last week's message. HutchFirstNaz.org, October 1st message, and allow uh, Pastor Kent to, to kind of give the foundation for, for the why behind that. We don't have time to go through all of it today. I do want to highlight, though, three of the big reasons why that he shared last week. Uh, number one, the first reason why was to align and unify us with our mission. Our mission as a church is to inspire people to take the next step on their journey with Jesus, to inspire people. That aligns with that mission. The second reason was to communicate to our community who we are or aspire to be. We aspire to be a church that inspires people to Jesus. And number three, to remove a barrier and roadblock to our mission. And this is what we're going to talk about a little bit today as we go into this Inspire series. Uh, we have found from, from some of you who are great inviters, as well as from some studies that have been done, that, that having the church denomination affiliation within the name doesn't communicate you are welcome here, which is what we want people to see. We want people to know that you belong here, that this is a place for you. And it's not that we're going to hide it. We're still going to be a, a Nazarene church. Uh, We are not leaving the denomination. I know that was a concern of some. I just spent a few years going through the process of getting ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. I'd be very angry if we all of a sudden decided to change that. We're not changing. We love our church. We love our history and our heritage. In many ways, what I can say is that over the last seven and a half years that I've been a part of this church, I believe God is doing a new thing in you, and I know he's doing a new thing in me. And as we looked in the last series on the names, oftentimes when God is doing a new thing, names change. And I want to commend you, church. We've been through a lot together in those last seven and a half years. But I believe God is up to something. And the great promise in that is that Philippians 1, 6 tells us that he who began that good work in you, God, he will see it through to completion. And so we don't have time to go through all of it, nor do I really want to stand up here and try to convince you why you should vote one way or another. Speaking of voting, we will have an all-church vote of the church membership on October 22nd in two weeks in our morning services. Some have asked about church membership. Next Sunday, Pastor Kent is going to talk about exactly that. So you'll want to be here next Sunday as he talks about that. But today we begin this Inspire series. We want to be the kind of church... It inspires people to take the next step on their journey with Jesus. 
Who inspires you? Outside of your family, let's, let's kind of put some parameters on it. Outside of your family, who are some of the people that have inspired you in your life? As I think of, of my own life this week, I, I was reminded of somebody, some of, some of you might know, Brad Shores. He was the band director for me from 6th grade through 12th grade over at Nickerson. He lived across the street for a while. He inspired me from at least the time I was a freshman in high school through the beginning of college. I was going to be a high school band director. That was the goal in life. And it was because I had been inspired by the way Brad led his groups and by the way he taught us. That's a different story why I didn't continue on that path. But he had inspired me. So who is it who has inspired you? And as I was thinking about that idea, inspire, I was wondering, do I really even know what this word means? I, I think we have a general vague idea, but, but I was just curious, okay, is there a deeper meaning to this word that I had not seen? And, and I had a light bulb moment with the dictionary, y'all. Did you know you can have a light bulb moment with the dictionary? It's amazing. So the definition that I found of inspire was this. Fill with the urge or ability to do or feel something or to breathe in. And as I sat and I looked at that, I saw fill, ability, breathe. And I began to think, and scriptures began to pop into my mind. Scriptures like John 20 verse 22, where Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. The word spirit and the word breath in Hebrew are the same word. The Spirit of God fills us and gives us the ability to do things. As I was looking at this word, the light bulb moment was that church, to be inspired church, is to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that is so filled with the Spirit of God that we have the breath of God and is filling us and giving us the ability to do life the way Jesus did, to follow in his example, because it is Jesus who inspires us. And today, as we look at reaching wide, it is Jesus who inspires us to reach wide. You've heard that language around here. We're for reaching wide. We want to inspire people by reaching wide. Now, I will confess to you, of all the things that we talk about that we are for, this one's the hardest one for me. It is by far the hardest one for me because some of you think public speaking is like you're, you're terrified of it. Make me stand up here all day. Just don't make me go have a conversation with a stranger. That's me. That's my personality. It's going to be awkward. It's not that I don't like people. I just know I'm, I'm going to be awkward and it's going to get uncomfortable. And how do you end a conversation? I'm really bad at that. Like, does it just kind of naturally like somebody walks away? How does this work? Reaching wide is a hard one for me. And so oftentimes I think, oh, I can't, I can't really do that. But see, here's the thing with this Holy Spirit who fills us with ability. Acts 1 verse 8 says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power to be my witnesses. I believe if you are a follower of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to follow in the way of Jesus. 
even to be a witness to the goodness and grace of God. That's hard for me because I go, oh no, no, let somebody else do that part. No, Jesus inspires us to reach wide and he gives us through the Holy Spirit, the power, the ability to do that. I love that in this definition, that word ability, it's not just a feeling. It's not just something that we feel compelled to. It's something that we are empowered to do, given the power, the ability to do, reaching wide. Jesus inspires us to reach wide. And we find this throughout scripture. But today I want us to look at a passage found in the gospel of John. And I'm going to tell you, we're at church, we're going to read a long passage today. I'm going to read a lot of verses. So I hope that's okay. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, or there's one in the the seat in front of you, or if you have it on your phone, this might be a good week to pull up John chapter 4. Because we're going to be reading for just a little while. Because I want you to see the full picture of this interaction that Jesus has with this woman at the well. And how that inspires us as we seek to reach wide. To be a church that inspires people to take the next step on their journey with Jesus. We're in John chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 3. And Jesus has been uh, doing uh, ministry in Judea, and he's getting ready to leave Judea and go to Galilee. And that's where we pick this, this passage up. Verse 3 of John chapter 4. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. 
when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Skipping down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Jesus inspires us to reach wide. And this, this passage, this long passage, there's so much in this passage. I could do four weeks just talking about all the different sections of it. But in this passage, I find Jesus inspiring me in the way he reaches out to this woman. So I want to give you three ways that, that Jesus can give us an example of how to reach wide as he inspires us to reach wide in this passage. The first is that he intentionally goes to the woman. So intentionally go to where they are, where people are. In verse four, it said that Jesus on his way to Galilee had to travel through Samaria. That's true, but there were other routes. In fact, the route through Samaria was not the preferred route of the Jews. It was faster, but it was not the preferred route of the Jews. And the Jews and the Samaritans, you kind of got a glimpse of that in the passage. This group, these groups do not get along very well at all. A little, little bit of history. Some of you don't like history, but just hang with me for just a minute. The, 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 the people of Israel, they were unified as one kingdom. And then they divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Both of those would be conquered eventually, but the northern kingdom was conquered first by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, after they had conquered this northern kingdom, brought people from other cultures with other religions and other practices and backgrounds, and they mixed with the Jews who had been in that northern kingdom. And this created the Samaritans. They were kind of this weird group of like, they still claim some of these Jewish practices and ways, but they weren't quite the same as the Jews in the Southern kingdom. And, and these, these groups did not like each other. Just to pause, can we pray for Israel and, and the people of Israel and Palestine? Like they need peace and it's bigger than I understand. It's a more complicated thing that I understand, but we need to be a people of prayer because it's not more complicated for our God. Let's pray for them and as, we, as we go through this week. But as we, as we look at this and the, these two groups that don't get along, I, I was reminded of this. This is a really crude example and I might get in trouble for it, but we'll get, let's go for it. So the, the, last week, Pastor Kent mentioned the Raiders. Let's pretend that you're a Chiefs fan and you have a buddy who's a Chiefs fan with you. You've gone to games together. You guys have done, done this Chiefs fandom thing together. He moves to Las Vegas. And you see on Facebook that he's wearing a Raiders jersey and going to Raiders football games. And so you call him up. You think, but what in the world's the deal? And he goes, oh no, I'm still a Chiefs fan. And you and I both know good and evil cannot exist in the same place. That is not possible. That's the Samaritans and the Jews. <laughs> in a really, really rough, rough way. They did not get along. There was tension there. 
But Jesus intentionally goes to where she is. Jesus takes that route because he is going to meet with that specific woman. Will you and I intentionally go to where people are? As a church, our reach, our reach as a church will only be as wide as your reach as the church. Our reach together as a church will only be as wide as your reach as a part of the church. We so often talk about, oh, we want to reach people for Jesus. And churches all over will say that. And then nobody does a thing because we're waiting for somebody else, the church, whoever that is, to actually do something. It's you and I. You and I are the church. And so if we're going to reach wide, it's going to be because you and I reach wide. This has to be a personal thing. But remember, remember, I know you start, the Holy Spirit will give you power to be his witnesses. When the fair was in town, there was a, an afternoon that our family was at the fair and my oldest daughter, Maisie, she's 16, had a group of friends who they were going to get together and they weren't the tightest group of friends, but they had, they had invited her to, to hang out with them at the fair. We thought, okay, she, she can do this and we'll just, we'll drop her off with this group and we'll leave and we'll just come pick her up when they're done. We had arranged a place to meet this group of friends. And as we're walking closer to this place, the dad anxiety in me is going like this because I see this group of friends and they have interesting hair colors and they have clothing that's just a little unique and they would be what I would have called 25 years ago emo they were just a little different. And here is my 16-year-old Maisie with a, with a T-shirt on with a bouquet of flowers and a cute saying. And I'm like, where in the world did this happen? And while my dad anxiety was going up because I'm going, is this really the group that's going to hang out? I looked and realized they have, they have invited her. And she has accepted them. She has an amazing opportunity to show the love of Jesus to people who maybe she doesn't fit with exactly. But what an awesome opportunity. You have been strategically placed in places where you can reach wide. In jobs, in schools, in activities, in <laughs> parents of your kids' activities. You have positions and places in your neighborhood where you have been strategically placed to reach wide, not just to the people who are like us. Jesus could have just gone to the people like him, but he reached wide beyond to the people who, who were least expecting to be talking to Jesus. You have been strategically placed where you are. Jesus inspires us to reach wide. He went to her. He didn't wait for her to come to him. The second thing that I see that we can learn from an example, be inspired by Jesus, is to initiate common ground conversation. Initiate common ground conversation. On the surface, this Samaritan woman and Jesus could not be more different. You have a Jewish rabbi and a Samaritan woman. I mean, just ignore the rest of her story. Just right there. What in the world do they have in common with each other? They're both thirsty. Common ground, connection. 
I was having a conversation with a young man a while back and I, I was not sure how this was going to work because as he's told me his story, his background was so different than my background. The things that he went through as he was growing up were so different than what I had experienced growing up. But he was about to be a dad. And he was a really interesting combination of excited and terrified out of his mind. And as the dad of three kids, I get that. I mean, I could have been his dad. I'm that, I'm old enough that I could have been his dad. But because we both have this common ground, we were able to have a, a, a really great conversation. Jesus initiated common ground conversation. We have more in common with people than we think. We live in a world that tries to kind of separate us and say, oh no, you need to stay over here and you stay over here. We don't have anything in common. We have a whole lot more in common than we think. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says that friendship, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. You know that feeling when you have that connection with a person because you realize that there is something there that makes a difference, that you feel a connection. As a church, how do we do this as a church? This common ground thing. How can we initiate common ground conversation as as a group? Well, as I look at our community, I think something that would probably be almost universal if you talk to, to people out in the community would be that we want to see kids in particular thriving. We, we want to see them avoiding drugs and staying away from all of that kind of stuff. And we want to see them, them thriving in relationships with each other and with their families. We want to see families doing, uh, doing well. As a church, we want the same thing. Now, we want it to be from a foundation of Jesus Christ, but we have the same desire to see families and kids thrive. And so we can do things like, I don't know, on October 29th, have a trunk or treat from four to six. So you can go to your neighbor and I can go to my neighbor and I can say, hey, uh, I really think your family would enjoy this. We have a little trunk or treat thing. Well, it's not that little. It'll be thousands of people. It'll be chaos. But don't tell them that part. Um, but it'll be a great time for your family to be together. We have bounce houses and some other activities and it's just, just a simple thing. Uh, I think you'd really enjoy it. You think, well, that's, that's kind of boring. Where's the Jesus in that? Oh, the Jesus is coming there because they're gonna come and they're gonna see, oh, wow, this, this church really cares about me. It cares about my family. That was a great time. So then when Christmas Eve rolls around, you can say, hey, would I know you, you came to Trunk or Treat. Would you be willing to come to a Christmas Eve service? It's, it'll be before dinner and, and you can still do all your family stuff. Would, would you be interested in coming? We have some great activities for kids and things. And, oh, I might check that out. And they're going to hear the gospel. Finding common ground. We have opportunities to find common ground. Jesus inspires us to reach wide. By intentionally going to where she is, by initiating common ground conversation. And number three, Jesus is our example to invite questions. Oh boy. Inviting questions. 
I love this part of the passage. As, you, as you're going through the, this lady and Jesus, they, they are just like all over the place in their conversation. It's living water. And then Jesus does this. Jesus says, oh, well, go get your husband and, and we'll talk about this more. I wouldn't recommend this as a strategy for evangelism. Just going to say, like Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. We are not. It might work for him. I would not try, start with the, well, I don't have a husband. Oh, that's right. You've actually had five and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Not good. Like, like it, it's good for Jesus. I wouldn't use that line. But he does this and what seems what it seems like is about to happen is that she goes, oh, let's not talk about this. Let's change the subject. And she starts talking about worship. But I don't really think that's what's going on. See, Jesus reveals something about himself that he knows things about her. And so what she does is she goes to one of the big hot button issues between the Jews and the Samaritans. She says, oh, you Jews, you say we have to worship in Jerusalem on this mountain. And we as Samaritans worship on this mountain. Which is it, Jesus? It's one of the tricky questions between the Jews and the Samaritans. Today, if we were at the well and talking with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the question might be, oh, I see you're a Christian. Let's talk about sexuality. Let's talk about politics. And the anxiety in me goes. But look how Jesus responded. He doesn't get flustered. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 no. I want to talk about that whole marriage thing right now. He lets her and they just have this conversation. They just go in a conversation. It's okay to invite questions. That's what Jesus did. He inspires us in that way. But I want to give you a little bit of, of, of help with this. It is absolutely okay to say this. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll get back with you. In the meantime, what do you think? What I love about this response is that we're admitting that we don't have all the answers. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit with us and he might give you an answer. But if not, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I'll get back with you. In the meantime, what do you think? Here's what that response does. That response is, it goes, rather than getting defensive, it goes to curiosity. You're going to hear their heart. What I also love about this response is you're going to grow because you're going to leave that conversation and you're going to go, okay, why do I believe this? What do I believe about this? What is it? What, how do I say this? Well, how do I, how do you're going to grow? But even more than that, if I try to give an answer to every question, that conversation likely is a one-time thing. But if I'm going to get back with them, I get to have another conversation. It is absolutely okay to say, you know what? I don't know how to answer that really well right now, but I'll get back with you. Jesus invited, invited the questions. And I know in the world we live in right now, those questions can be really hard. But if we will stay connected, connected in conversation, you can build a relationship from that place. Jesus can be our inspiration as we seek to reach wide. And as a church, this gets messy. 
Let's just be honest. This gets really messy. If you start reaching wide, you start reaching people who, who might have different ideologies than you, might have different backgrounds than you, and we all come together and it gets really, really messy because the questions come and that, well, why do we do that? And why do we say this? And why do we believe this? And the questions and, oh, can't we just retreat into our little bubble of people who are exactly like me? That's what the world's doing. It's interesting that sometimes the same people who get all upset about this, oh, the culture's infiltrating the church, want to do exactly what culture does, which is divide us. The way of Jesus says, you people over here, you people over here, you people over here, you're all very, very different. But what you're going to do is you're going to come together in this diverse and this eclectic family of God all under the banner of Jesus. And we're going to do life together and it's going to be messy, but it's going to show the world a different way than the tribalism and the bombs that we try to throw at each other. Jesus gives us a different way. He invites the questions. And I love Jesus' response to her question. As an aside, the worship pastor in me really wants to go in a different direction right now. But she's asking about worship. And she says, is it this sacred mountain that we worship on or is it this sacred mountain that we worship on? And Jesus' answer is essentially, a time has come and is now coming when those sacred mountains don't matter because Jesus is in the room. You see, when Jesus is in the room, your sacred mountains don't stand a chance. When Jesus is in the room, those things that we once thought were hills to die on all of a sudden aren't. What are our sacred mountains? Are they ideologies? Oh, we all have to, to, have to be over here politically. Are they methodologies? Well, this is the way it's supposed to be. Is it a church name? When Jesus is in the room, our sacred mountains don't stand a chance. But the good news is that when Jesus is in the room, that's all that matters because it's all about him. It's all about him. He inspires us. And what I love about passages like this, where we get to see Jesus interacting with other people, is those, those other people become almost like mirrors to give us a different perspective on who Jesus is. But I think those other people also give us a different perspective on who Jesus is to us, what he has done and is doing in and for us. I see this in this, this story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus inspires us to reach wide because Jesus reached wide for us. He sees you. He sees you. He saw this woman. This woman who would have been one that, we don't know the story. We don't know why she's had all of these different marriages. We don't know that, I mean, in that day and time, the woman couldn't initiate the divorce. So why has she had five husbands? Why is she with this other guy? We don't know. But what we do see is that there's some sort of shame, some sort of baggage, something that is causing her to be maybe on the outskirts of her community because she's going to a well, a really popular place. At noon, when nobody else is there, she's hidden, but she's not hidden to Jesus. He sees her. He knows everything about her. Nothing is hidden. And he chooses to see her, not in judgment and condemnation, but in love. And he chooses to see you. He sees all of you. 
the things that you and I try to hide, the things that we're ashamed of, the things that, that are the baggage that we carry in life. He sees it all and he chooses to see you not in condemnation and judgment, but in love. It's interesting that in this passage in the gospel of John, this Samaritan woman, we don't even know her name. She's the first person Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to, the savior of the world. Unlikely person because Jesus is a God who sees. He sees you. And in her response to being seen, I love this response. She drops or she leaves her her water jug that she's filling up And she goes back to her community and she says, come see. Come see. This is the invitation of reaching wide. Come see. And I love in verse 29 where it says, come, she she goes and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Everything I ever did included all of those things that caused her to be somewhat of an outcast in her community. Everything she ever did included those things that she was ashamed of. But all of a sudden, the pain became a platform for the grace of God. All of a sudden, the scars that she had became the story that led to the salvation of others. And it works the same way for you. Some of you have been through really hard things. You've been through things that that have just been awful. Sometimes it's been because we've made stupid choices and sometimes it's been just because life has happened and we live in a fallen world. God didn't cause it, but he can use that for good. You don't have to hide your scars. Your scars can be the story that leads to the salvation of others. I mean, Jesus, he inspires us to reach wide because he reached wide on a cross. His hands and feet nailed to that cross. And it's interesting to me, after he's, he's buried and he rises again, and before he, he ascends to heaven, he appears to, to various people. And as he appears to them, oftentimes one of the way he's, ways he reveals himself is by showing his scars, showing his hands. Some of you have a story in your scars that you need to share, and that story is going to become the salvation for somebody else. And then the people, it says, the people went out to see Jesus. They believed her testimony. They went out to see Jesus and they had their own encounter with him. It was come see. They came, they saw, and they believed in him, not just because of what she said, because they had their own experience of God. And that's what we want to to be as a church. We want to be the kind of church where when you invite someone to, hey, hey, I've told you my story. Why don't you come? Just come with me to church sometime. We want to create that environment where when they come in these doors, they know that you belong here. They come into this place and we try every week. And sometimes we get better, we do better than others, but we try to create an environment in this place where people can have their own encounter with God. Because that changes everything. Because Jesus changes everything. But you have a story to tell. You have scars that can be that story that lead to the salvation of others. And I love that Jesus actually prays, not just for you, but he prays for the people who will believe because of your story. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them, for for you alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit 
the power to be his witnesses, to reach wide just as Jesus did. And he's prayed for you. And he's prayed for those who are hearing your story. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? Is there a name of somebody that that I need to reach out to? Somebody who may not look like me, may not talk like me, may not believe the same things I believe. Or is there somebody that you want me to reach out to? Maybe it's a story, a story of a scar that I like to hide. God, I believe there's also some people with some open wounds right now. Some open wounds who need you as the healer to come and heal those places. Places that right now feel like pain, but that one day they're going to be a platform for declaring your grace and your goodness. If you're in this room or online and you need to follow Jesus, he's been reaching for you. But you need to follow him. Would you simply just receive his grace? Say, God, I confess I've tried to do it on my own. I've sinned, I've fallen short. I need you. I want you, I invite you to become the Lord and Savior of my life. Come and fill me, make me new. Help me to follow you. Lord, I pray for your spirit to give us the reminders that we need, that we have the power. We have the ability to do those things, to be your witness. And God, I believe today that there are people who do not yet know you, who one day when they're asked who inspires you, names in this room are going to come out because you have used their stories to draw people to yourself. So God, have your way with us. Maybe we, we be the kind of church that is filled with your spirit, that is reaching wide because you reached wide to us. May we never lose the wonder of what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.